With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Afternoons on SEN. Ah, yes, indeed. Very good afternoon to you. Welcome to Afternoons on SEN. Sam Hargraves in for Dwayne and really... Looking forward to the pleasure of your company over the next three hours. So I hope your day is going as well as it possibly can be, however you're putting it in, wherever you're putting it in. It's great to have you on board with Afternoons on SEN, however you're finding us, wherever you're finding us, right around Australia, maybe the world on the SEN network. Uh, You can call in at any stage because whilst Dwayne might not be here, his promise is ever present. And that is, if you call, you get on. So Midday Madness continues, even when uh, Dwayne has the feet up uh, and a cocktail in hand, probably in the spa, I'd imagine, at this time of the day, the pipe. Uh, The Werribee Kia open line, 1300 736 736, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. You can text in on the 40 Wings temper text, 0433981116. The Consumer Choice winner, temper mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases. That covers all bases. Uh, conforms to the exact shape of your body. Big thanks to Jules for the last three hours. He's just tucked the board under the arm, heading down to St Kilda Beach to catch some big, big swell down there on the bay. Uh, enjoy that, JDS. Um, just really showing <laughs> how in tune with the ocean and the surf that he is. I loved it. Uh, he's a very good man, uh, is JDS. Um, a lot to get through today, and and very much so, uh, as you would know during Dwayne's uh, stewardship of his own show, that the call you get on promise is really about saying that you are uh, the co-host of this show. So if we're going down a path that you're just not interested in and you'd rather talk about something else, then you can actually take the wheel and start steering us in a direction that you'd want to go. So you can help set the agenda of what we're talking about today, one three hundred seven three six. 736 is the number to call, the Werribee Care open line, or 0433-98-1116. Tons of prizes. We never come empty-handed uh, on afternoons. Uh, I was always empty-handed on the sporting capital, but when you get into prime time, uh, all the toys sort of come with it. So we've got a lot of prizes to give away. In fact, we're just going to start off right now uh, by giving five double passes away to the newest and most exciting Greyhound race, the Phoenix, is this Saturday night. So all you need to do to get one of those five double passes, which not only includes said double pass, to a stand-up cocktail-style event, it's all-inclusive, beverage package, uh, grazing finger food menu, access to all outdoor entertainment and facilities, track entry, your race book as well, the Phoenix. You want to be a part of it, just text in to 0433-981116, Phoenix, and the first five will get those five. Uh, heaps of other prizes to give away. Signet Poos power, power Banks, Mystery Craft Beer Bundles, $50 Brick Lane Brewing, Club Mandalay Golf, Double Passes to Melbourne, City Melbourne Victory, $100 Gammy Chicken Vouchers. So just for being involved in the sporting conversation, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 Off the text, a question straight off the bat. Did you say on the cricket coverage you're leaving SEN last night? No, I'm not leaving SEN. 
Uh, I'm just stepping away from full-time duties. Uh, hopefully still be part of the, the setup around here and commentate some sport uh, where I can, but I'm going to be a, a stay-at-home dad uh, from January next year. When the beautiful Evie goes back to work full-time, I'll step away from full-time, but um, hopefully you'll still hear me. So it's good news and, and bad news because for those who uh, do enjoy what I bring to the table, you'll still hopefully get to experience some of it. And for those who don't, well, you won't have to hear as much of it. So, you know, what a, what a generous guy I am. Uh, Christmas, that's my gift to you. Uh, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 If you're just getting involved in sports news of the day, this is how the first of the World Cup semis unfolded, Argentina and Croatia. Dominic Livakovic, the goalkeeper. Lionel Messi, left-footed strike, blasts it into the back of the nets. And Argentina have a 1-0 lead. And Argentina will try and push it out. So a poorly taken corner for Croatia. And now Argentina counter-attacking. Here goes Alvarez. He's got help left and right. Alvarez keeps on going inside the box. There was a touch that comes in. Alvarez! He's put it away! He ran the length of the field. And just as the move was coming unstuck, the rebound fell back to him. And he's poked it past the goalkeeper. Messi spins around, Guardiol gets goal side of him, lays it back in, it's a third for Argentina! Julian Alvarez is there to finish, but it was the wizardry, it was the majesty, it was outstanding from Lionel Messi. Well, that was absolutely outstanding. Lionel Messi, the first, and then he set up the third. Argentina, 3-0 win over Croatia. So they and he are through... Well, he is through to his second World Cup final going down in 2014 to Germany in Brazil. But this is just massive in the career of Lionel Messi. It could be the legacy piece. And just a moment to say, as outstanding as Lionel Messi was, Jordan Canales has been just so uh, in this World Cup. His grasp of this game, of the players, the pronunciations, the way that he's brought the action to life, him and the whole team, magnificent job uh, on SEN and should be commended for it. Um, and I'm sure uh, plenty of people have noticed exactly how well he has called the football action in this World Cup. But this feels like fate, doesn't it, for Lionel Messi? Have you ever found yourself not barracking for the team so much as you are just barracking for the person within it to maybe achieve that? Because I don't know what kind of sporting fan you are, but I'm a big, I love legacy. So when a team wins three or four in a row, I don't get upset about that. And mainly because the last team that did it was the team that I barracked for. Um, but even when other teams have done it, I've never, ever lamented it because I love seeing history made. I love seeing legacy. I love um, people um, creating something that will live on and that will become the benchmark for others to try and achieve. And so Messi with the seven Ballon d'Ors and um, everything they achieved, the league of titles at, at Barcelona and now with Paris Saint-Germain. But what was missing... Um, and what, you know, the others that he's in the conversation with have in Maradona and Pelé, that was a World Cup. And if he could get that, then what does it mean for him in the pantheon of, of soccer greats? Oh, I know I switch between soccer and football, but just to keep it, just in case you're wondering, for some people, football is AFL, um, Aussie rules, and for, for many and, and most, because it's the most popular game in the world, I know, uh, football is soccer, but we'll just keep making sure that you're up to speed on what we're talking about. So do you ever find yourself, and have you ever found yourself barracking for the person, not so much the team, because you want them to achieve what has long eluded them? I found myself doing that with Chris Paul over recent years as his NBA career comes to an end. I think he's one of the greatest point guards to ever play. I found myself wanting him. So when Phoenix um, went down, I was, I was shattered for him. 
I think I heard people telling me that in 08, they weren't necessarily barracking for Hawthorne, but they were barracking for Shane Crawford because they love Crawford. Brownlow medal over 300 games, the entertainer, what he brought on and off the field um, and what he brought in, you know, the, uh, the, the, the bike rides, the runs, what he's done for charity. And, and so they were really barracking for him to get that ultimate, uh, maybe not barracking for Hawthorne so much. So if you ever found yourself barracking for a person in a situation, not so much the team, give me that through history of where you were absolutely behind the story of the person. one three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. 736 736 Tony and Craigieburn. Hello, Tone. Oh, day, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. You want to talk about uh, Lionel Messi? Yeah, look, I'm just, uh, just in awe of the guy. Um, I'm probably going to say that he's probably the best player of our generation that, that, that we've, we've seen. And just, you know, just the enjoyment that he's given us. Um, not so much against the Australians, obviously. Not against the Socceroos, but um, just, just sitting back and just and just enjoying the other moment, the occasion, and the once-in-a-generation type player. And just got this sneaking suspicion this, this guy might go out as a World Cup champion. Yeah. Now, I think you're right. It's The stars seem to be aligning for... One of the great stars of of the time that I've been alive and watching. Um, there's not too many I've seen that, that do it as well as, as him, Tony. And uh, thank you for uh, ringing us up and getting us off and running on Midday Madness. Signet Boost, ba- uh, Signet Boost Power Bank coming your way, uh, valued at fifty nine ninety five. Signet Boost Power Bank will keep your phone, tablet, earbuds, all powered 24-7. Uh, John's on the road. G'day, John. Yeah, hi, Sammy. Um, I-, I do want to... Just make a comment on Messi, but just beforehand, I I, I want to pee in your pocket a little bit. Uh, look, I, over the last couple of months, I heard you through the draft period and and through the, um, the, the the trade as well. And even though we're still here, I just got to say you're a class act, mate. Good on you because you've always given a, a measured uh, view on things, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed all that stuff, all that footy when footy wasn't even on. So. Uh, cheers, mate. I hope um, you enjoy your stay, stay at home, dead duties. Oh, John, that's lovely of you. Thank you so much. Are you sure you're not confusing me with Sam Edmund? No, I'm not. <laughs> I did listen to Sam, was all right, but I, um, <laughs> I, I, I think I've got it right, buddy. Oh, but, mate, thank um, you. No, pleasure, mate. Uh, look, just in what you're saying, you're probably, um, whether or not, I have felt attached to an individual and wanting the team to win because of the individual. Yeah, look, as a Collingwood supporter, I was heartbroken that Bucks didn't end up with a flag. But, um, you know, sometimes sport is a great leveler. But in regards to Lionel Messi, I mean, the guy is a legend and and the, definitely the best in our generation. But even if you think back and, you know, this debate of who's the best ever, but I mean, if you take into consideration how long the guy's done it for, how versatile he is, and these days... Uh, the, the the tactics that go into uh, the, the defensive side of the game and to be able to do it pretty much on his own. He's got a few class players, but not the sort of players that others had around him like Maradona. I just think the guy is brilliant and mm. he's just done it for so long. He has to go down as the best ever. Uh, it's a massive call, John. Um, and I, I, one of the things that I think 
makes him stand out for me, maybe above Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, I have no stats to back this up, and I'll go and have a look, and someone might be able to tell me and do the research. But I just get the inkling that maybe Lionel Messi would provide more goal assists than Cristiano Ronaldo. We saw that um, just play out poetically this morning in the run uh, and cutting along uh, the, the, the baseline and then to be able to put it back in to find a teammate after that incredible piece of individual play. Um, I feel like I, I remember him doing that and being the provider on more occasions. And I remember Cristiano Ronaldo doing it. Um, John, it'd be just pretty poor form of me not to give you a prize. So uh, have a beer on me, $50 Brick Lane uh, Brewing. Vet. I say me, I've, I haven't uh, shelled out for this, but um, I'd love you to walk away with a $50 Brick Lane Brewing voucher. Uh, Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, perfect for all occasions and the ultimate crowd. Please a drink responsibly. Um, 0433981116, the 40 Winks temper text. Uh, I was barracking for Sam Doherty this year. Yeah, I think we're all barracking for Sam Doherty. I mean, the the AFL at the moment are doing uh, their top 50 biggest stories of of 2022. Now, they're uh, at the moment up to about 31. You'd have to think that I would say that Buddy's 1,000th is going to be number one. Maybe Joel Selwood, his captaincy uh, being capped off with a, a premiership as captain. But if in the top five, Sam Doherty um, doesn't find himself after what he overcame, second bout of testicular cancer, coming back to play. And, and being in all-Australian contention, by the way, um, I'd be very surprised if that doesn't make the top five. Um, same with um, Paddy McCartan, Ben Cunnington in that boat as well. But, yeah, I, I love that call, barracking for, for Sam Doherty. I think everyone in football was barracking uh, for Sam Doherty this year. Hey, um, Dale, Damien, uh, stay right there. We'll get to you on the other side of this. We're off and running on Midday Madness. I haven't even told you what's on the menu today. So give me a moment. Uh, Nick Ahern, former world number 16, the only man to beat Tiger Woods twice in match play golf. Uh, their head-to-head record, two, Nick Ahern, zip. Tiger, he's going to come in and bring a very special guest with him from Ping, the head of performance research, Jonathan Shepard. So this is a guy with a PhD in sports engineering he was the president of the International Sports Engineering Association. We're going to have a chat about the role of technology in sport and the role it's playing in furthering sport and what are the responsibilities on technology to stay with the traditions of sport, to keep sports exactly uh, what they are. Hawks fans, I want to hear from you uh, about the uh, election result. New chair, chairman Andy Gowers, one 736 From the Sydney Thunder, Grinda Sandu is going to join us. Uh, they won the opening game of the BBL last night in uh, nail-biting and thrilling fashion. Michael Barlow is going to join us to talk about the new setup for the VFL finals. And, of course, we'll talk to you all throughout the afternoon as part of Midday Madness on Afternoons SEN. Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Uh, midday Madness off and racing for Melbourne Roadside Rescue. Uh, put the wrong fuel in your car. Well, visit up ship, S-H-I-P, creek.com.au. That's shipcreek.com.au. Um, after 12.30, we're going to try something. 
Um, during the footy season on the Sporting Capital, uh, one of the regular segments um, that um, is a real mixed bag for some people, um, we like to play a game called Footy Tinder. I'm going to see if we can translate that to afternoons, but we're going to play Cricket Tinder, given that we are in cricket season. So I'm going to roll out some of the biggest statements made by some of the biggest names in cricket. We swap left if we don't like what we're hearing. We swap right if we do. You get one super like. Any more than that, you have to start paying. And as I've always said with Tinder, once you start paying for it, you know there's a problem. Rod? Yep. Uh, so we'll do Cricket Tinder after the 12.30 news. But back to your calls for Midday Madness. Uh, let's go to uh, Dale in Tasmania. G'day, Dale. G'day, Sam. How are you? Uh, really well. Thank you for asking. Yeah, it's a good, mate. Um, just on cricket. So there's been you, you read a fair bit of stuff online around Warner and Cam Green and, and a little bit more around Scotty Boland. And I think with David Warner... He, he knows he's coming towards the end of his his test career at least. Like at the end of the day, we just he's he's been a champion of the game. He just needs to be afforded the next three tests. Um, the Melbourne Test is his hundredth. Um, look, if he doesn't if he doesn't uh, doesn't score runs, he knows what his fate would be. But as most champions do, whether it be Steve Waugh or Mark Taylor, when they backs up against the wall, um, I'm sure he'll come out and he'll do something. Who knows? Uh, Cameron Green's an interesting one. So people have been talking about. Cameron Green, and he hasn't made any runs yet. But Steve Waugh, he took, um, you know, he took about three years before he got going in the 1989 Ashes Tour. So, um, you know, they've just got to give the yeah, was it, time. It was, yeah, was it 27, was it his 27th test, Dale, that he scored his first 100, Steve Waugh, or was it 17th, 17th, 27th? Yeah. Someone will tell me. on I can Google it, and I'll be able to do that. But off the top of my head, I'm just trying to remember. He scored 177 and 152 in... Uh, in, in the, like in the Ashes tour in '89, and that's when he just he, he became one of the, the world's best batsmen. And then the other one would be um, Scott Boland. Like everyone's saying, his record uh, or his, uh, his his statistics uh, basically showcase that he needs to play like be picked in the Test side. But we've we've actually got three world class bowlers, and I'm not sure who you actually drop just to let Scotty Boland in. And if I think back to um, you know McGrath, Gillespie, and Lee. Blokes like Bickle and Kasparich weren't just given a game. Like they had to really earn it. So for me, Scott Boland's there and he's doing really well. But one of the other three have actually got to really fail for him to uh, cement his spot. Yeah, I think that's a good call. I mean, I think sometimes we really do look for the the shiny new thing. And and while Scott Boland isn't new in terms of age. Um, he's made his debut uh, later in his career. I'll get his actual age up in a minute. I think he's around 30, Scott Boland. But the point that you're making is a very good one. So Pat Cummins is ranked number one in the test bowling uh, figures. The next best ranked uh, Australian um, is Mitch Stark at number 10. Josh Hazelwood's still number 14 in the world. Nathan Lyon at, 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 uh, at 15. So we've got three of our bowlers uh, inside the top, three of our fast bowlers, our three front liners inside the top 15 uh, in the world. So I think if you're in the top 15 in the world in anything, I don't know if you're really in line to be dropped, are you, if you're Josh Hazelwood? No, not at all. Um, I, I, I actually... Oh, we might have lost Dale there. Dale, um, it was great chatting to you, mate. Greatly appreciate you calling in. Uh, Damien in Strathmore. Hello, Damo. Yeah, g'day, Sammy. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you, mate. That's good. Look, um, yeah, I just want to congratulate you, mate, on on everything you've done at SEN. You're a gr- great guy. I really like talking to you on um, 
On nights, coming home from work, and um, you've done a great job over the last few years, and congratulations with little Evie. Have a ball, mate. Have a great Christmas. And can can you write down one name for me? That's um, Parry Grip. He's probably the greatest kid singer. He, he, he sings all these special songs for kids. So, so songs like Raining Tacos, um, Breakfast Burritos. <laughs> Are you sure Liam no, Pickering didn't write that? Are you sure Liam Pickering That's didn't write It's Raining Tacos? No, no, no. It's, it's the best animation you'll see. Sure. Great for kids. Little Evie would be singing them within a few months. So, um, yeah, thanks for everything, mate, and good luck to, uh, with everything in the future. Damien, uh, that's I'm genuinely um, a little bit em- uh, embarrassed, but uh, and and very very humbled. Thank you for taking the time to call to say such lovely things. Um, I do really appreciate it. Hopefully, um, it's not goodbye. It's just um, a, a different role uh, for me in terms of uh, contact hours here. So I love this place. It's been the best career move I could ever have made. Um, I've loved. Uh, every bit of the almost four years that I've been here. Um, this isn't a uh, this isn't a testimonial uh, day to me, by the way. But thank you for the people who are calling in to say such lovely things. I'm sure that'll be balanced up on the temper very, very smartly. Um, but um, yeah, it's just me that I won't be uh, a full timer um, uh, after Jan. I'll be doing uh, the stay at home parent, and uh, the beautiful Eve will be heading back to work, and uh, Charlie Bear will have to put up with me uh, throughout the day singing stupid songs that I make up. So. Um, uh, thank you, though, for the very kind words, Damo. That that, that means a lot. Um, John in Port Augusta before we get to the news. Hello, John. Hi, Sam. Merry Christmas to you. And you all too. And all this is on the mighty SCN. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. I don't speak to you guys between now and then. But um, I, I was going to talk about Port Adelaide, but I'll go, I'll go to my summer passion. Because we get, I think we should appreciate this current side because it statistically is one of the great sides. I mean, where does Australia have two batsmen average 60 in test cricket mm. and two openers average nearly 50, let alone the battery of fast bowlers? I think we've got to... OK, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, this current side, but I think we should appreciate for what it is. It is a great side. Thank you. Yeah, Bye. it's a good shout, John. Um, we do sometimes look for the, the threads to pull on and to, to unravel things a little bit, but John makes a great point. What's happening at the moment with, with Smith and Labuschagne is um, just about um, almost unprecedented in, in how they're going about accumulating their runs. And whilst Dave Warner's had a leaner few years in terms of centuries, he is one of Australia's greatest ever openers as well. And then we've got this situation where all of our quartet of bowlers, Lyon, Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins, have um, claimed over 200 test wickets. So that automatically has you going back to think about that that halcyon era of McGrath and Warren and Lee and Gillespie and what they were able to do as a as a quartet through their time. So whilst it is really easy for us, oh, we only played the West Indies and and, and this and that and um and and the I suppose the controversies that sometimes surround our cricket side over the last four years and one major one, but in terms of what they are able to achieve on field, they're achieving things that are in a pretty rarefied air at the minute, um, especially on, from an individual performance point of view. Um, appreciate that call. Uh, let's get to the news. And on the other side, we'll give uh, Cricket Tinder a roll and just see, just see how it goes. This is Afternoons on SEN. I drive a man insane. You broke my wheel. I put a thrill. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. I let you love. Oh, that's a nice way to come out of the news. Thank you, Stone Cold. Rod, uh, really putting up some good, good musical performances this week. I'm loving the playlist. I'm going to go watch Top Gun tonight just because of that. And then I'll watch the second one, Top Gun Maverick. What a night that'll be. Strap yourselves in. Um, 
736 the Werribee Kia open line. Don't forget Big Bash tonight. Um, strikers at home. Um, last night, the Thunder hosting uh, the Melbourne Stars got off to, well, it was an auspicious start. It was a peculiar start, but it was a very entertaining start uh, and an exciting one. So um, just with uh, nine wickets down, they needed a single off the last ball to win it. Uh, and it was four buys that went through. <laughs> so uh, a very strange way to bring up a victory, but uh, it was a hard-fought victory nonetheless for the Thunder and Gurinder Sandhu, who was instrumental in it, took two wickets and scored the and hit the six um, in the final over to level the score. So we'll have a chat to him uh, a little later on in the show. Um, Wherever key your open line, 100% open, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 The 40 Winks temper text, 0433981116. Keep the text coming through. A lot of people having their say on Lionel Messi after Argentina made their way through to their first World Cup final since 2014 where they lost to Germany. They'll play uh, the winner of Morocco and France, 6 a.m. this morning. Uh, Tomorrow morning, uh, Jordan Canales will be right over that one as well. Um, Hawthorne fans, how are you feeling? Quite acrimonious it's been over the last few years, and now we've got uh, a new president. Um, what did you think of the events of last night? Andy Gowers um, winning comfortably, from what we're told, um, in Hawthorne's uh, presidential election, which really descended into more of an actual uh, political election at times. It um, certainly wasn't friendly um, and it has felt like the last few years at Hawthorne hasn't been really friendly. It's felt quite divided. It's felt quite acrimonious. And Andy Gowers is preaching unity at the moment. So let's hope that can happen uh, in quick fashion. So Hawthorne fans, feel free to ring in and share your thoughts on the events of last night um, as well. One of the things that we did on uh, the Sporting Capital all through the year and ever since I've been here at SEN was a little game called Footy Tinder where I'd play you some of the biggest statements made by the biggest names in the game. Um, and you'd swipe left if you disagreed, and you'd swipe right if you did agree. Um, basically, exactly how Tinder works. When you're looking at someone you might want to go on a date with, read the profile, uh, find out what you can, and then you swipe left if you don't wish to pursue a date, and uh, you swipe right if you do, and you get one super like each and every day. And uh, if you try and super like any more, then you have to start paying. So um, we're going to try and do that with cricket. So here are uh, some of the statements that we're going to be putting on the cricket Tinder menu for you to swap left and swap right on. Let's start with this one, Steve Smith, about Dave Warner. Davey's a once-in-a-generational player, you know. He's he's arguably the best ever opener for Australia. There we go. That one's going to get some swapping, I would have thought. Uh, this is Simon O'Donnell on Dave Warner. Everything that's going on in his life... It's been a, a, a tough period of time for David Warner. He's, he's a really good player. He, obviously, he, he's shown that over the journey. Uh, just seeing, I suppose, a, a tiredness come into his play, it's not the same bouncy David Warner opening the batting that we're used to. Now, he'll, he'll get himself up, I'm sure, for South Africa, but they've got a really good bowling attack. And, and it just wouldn't surprise me if with everything that's gone on, his age, he says, look, Maybe white ball cricket's where I need to be now. He, he's trying to get himself up for the test matches, but I'm just not sure whether he's the same player he was. And you know, age will always weary them. So Simon O'Donnell on Dave Warner, you can swap left or right on that. This is Mike Hussey on the lack of crowds. The kids were still at school. People are still at work. It started on a Wednesday. There's so much cricket on these days as well. There's only so much like a family can afford to, to go and see. We've got all the, the Big Bash. There was the World Cup games. There's obviously test matches. You can watch a lot of it on TV, you know, every ball. 
So you can swap left or right. Is that why uh, the crowds are down, according to Mike Hussey? Uh, Ian Healy on Australia's next keeping setup. Uh, well, look, uh, you know, Josh Inglis is uh, right behind um, Alex in the top level of the game. Matthew Wade's probably finishing. Um, so he, he's held the T20 position and the short form position. So we might see Alex and Josh start to share those formats. So that's Ian Healy about having joint keepers uh, at the uh, in the Australian setup. This is Mitch Swepson on his own Test career. Um, coming out of both Pakistan and Sri Lanka will probably hold me in good stead, I think, when, in that sort of selection conversation. And um, I, I guess uh, they, were, they were pretty happy, I, I think, with how I bowled in Sri Lanka, so um, which is our last Test series. Um, so I think. Just drawing on that, um, I'm, I'm sort of, I guess, quietly confident that um, I'd be in the conversation at least, and um, I, I certainly want to be a part of that tour. There's no doubt about that. So is Mitch Swepson Australia's next spinner incumbent in waiting? That's what left, what right? One three hundred seven three six seven three six. And a couple more will play after the break. But Simon O'Donnell wants to see more from Cam Green. Are you agreeing with his assessment that Cam Green needs to show more to keep his spot in the Australian test side? Swap left, swap right. Jared Waitley asking the question, is Josh Hazelwood an automatic selection when he is past fit to play? Or do we consider Boland moving forward to do more bowling? I think there is, yes. As Cummins is the captain, Stark is still at the front of the attack. And then the third seamer, I think, is an open question. So Hazelwood's only played three of the last 12 test matches for Australia. What we've seen of Boland through four test matches suggests that he has disrupted the pecking order. And if you wanted to make the case that Nisa outbowled Boland across the test in Adelaide, I think you could make that. Uh, and then it's the subjective call as to which side of the fence you sit on. So there you go. If you'd like to play Cricket Tinder, have your say on the biggest statements that have been made by the biggest names in the game. Swap left if you disagree, right if you agree. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. And just to prove that uh, I'm happy to meet you halfway, I've got prizes. So ring up and participate, and I will reward you for your participation. Uh, this is Afternoons on SEN. Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Dave is a once-in-a-generational player, you know. He's he's arguably the best ever opener for Australia. We're playing Cricket Tinder on afternoon. Sam Hargraves in for Dwayne. Very simple. The big statements made by the big names in the game. You swipe left if you disagree. You swipe right if you agree. And you get some time to explain why you're swiping left or right. one three hundred seven three six seven three six 736 736 or 0433981116. I'm going to start off the swiping with that one. I know Nick in Hopper's Crossing is ready and raring to go. So I'm going to swipe left on that. I don't agree that Dave Warner is the greatest opener in Australian history. Now, we're taking some liberties. He said might be, Steve Smith, but let's put that out as the statement. Is Dave Warner the best opener in Australian history? So first, we need to have a look at who's in contention. So I would say Matty Hayden, Dave Warner, of course, Bill Laurie, Justin Langer, Mark Taylor, Bob Simpson, even go back as far as Arthur Morris, David Boone, and Jeff Marsh. Michael Slater, you could throw in there, uh, as well. So those would be the openers that would be in the running, you would think, for Australia's greatest ever opener. I'm swiping left that Dave Warner is the greatest opener. He might be top two. But for me, I've got Matty Hayden in that dominant era 
uh, of Australian Test cricket. Matty Hayden's record is it is actually quite remarkable. 103 Tests, and remember he had that significant break in between where he got in and then he was out for a long time. Uh, came back in 103 Tests in the end. Um, he averaged 50 in Test cricket, uh, 30 centuries, 29 50s, but his record in one day internationals and in the few T20s that he played was just as good. He averaged 43 in one day cricket, 10 centuries, 36 50s. And he actually averaged 50 in nine T20 internationals with four half centuries. Um, I've, I've got Matty Hayden as Australia's greatest. And maybe there's some recency bias to that. I didn't get to see Arthur Morris and Bob Simpson. Uh, and those guys, I grew up watching Jeff Marsh and loved David Boone. And I um, was right in, that was in my sort of real uh, cricket nuffy growing up phase with Mark Taylor um, at the top of the order for Australia. But for me, for me, I've got Matty Hayden as Australia's greatest ever opener. So I'd swap left on that for Steve Smith. That's how we play. Cricket Tinder, swipe left, swipe right, and explain yourself. Uh, Nick in Hopper's Crossing. Hello, Nick. How you going, Sam? I'm good, thanks, mate. Um, Why don't we start with that one from Steve Smith for you. Are you comfortable you know how the game works? Yes, I do. Left if you you disagree and right if you agree, correct? That's it. Uh, So, Steve Smith, uh, Dave Warner, arguably Australia's best opener. Swipe left or swipe right? I'll go left because the reason, I'll I'll give you the reason. I'll say Hayden shades him because Hayden played in an era where he went to India. He he um, had it two, three times. He was in and out of the side, came back. He played spin really well. He played pace bowling really well. Went to India, played really well. He, he was just and he, and he made the biggest score at the at, at the time. He just he was an all round good player. He was a very good opener, very strong opener, and um, a reliable opener and a good um, fieldsman in the, in the slips. Where Warner. He's now going down in his career. He, he, he couldn't play in England that much, and he struggles against the spin in India. So that, that, that's the only thing against him. Otherwise, um, T20 in their one-day game is probably better than, than Hayden. But in the Test arena, I would swipe, I would swipe left. I, I wouldn't. I, would, I would disagree. So that's a really interesting one about how they perform internationally. So just to have a look. So when you have a look at Dave Warner's um, statistics. Uh, and a big thanks for your call too, uh, Nick, by the way. Um, have a Mystery Craft Beer Bundle. You've won a Mystery Craft Beer Bundle thanks to Hairy Dog, uh, the largest range of alcohol online delivered, hairydog.com. Um, actually, get Nick to stay there. I'll, I'll get him another one to swipe with. But when you have a look at uh, Dave Warner's statistics about uh, what he averages and where he averages, so he averages 58 um, in Australia in Test cricket, but he um, in England, just 26. So that's what uh, Nick's referring to there. In India... He averages 24. So, and this is not a pile on a Dave Warner, by the way. This is just all about uh, facts and figures and who we believe is the greatest opener um, in Australian history. I've got Dave Warner right up there, but I think Matty Hayden better. Um, in England, Matty Hayden averages 34.5. In Australia, averages 57.8. Um, in India, though, Matty Hayden averaged 51. Um, and he averaged 63 in the West Indies, 34 in South Africa. So he, he was... A very strong performer overseas as well. Um, what about this, Nick? From uh, this was Mike Hussey uh, about the lack of crowds in Australian uh, for Australian matches at the moment. The kids were still at school. People are still at work. Started on a Wednesday. There's so much cricket on these days as well. There's only so much like a family can afford to, to go and see. We've got all the, the big bash. There was the World Cup games. There's obviously Test matches. You can watch a lot of it on TV. You know every ball. So Nick. 
Are you swiping left or right to what Mike's uh, throwing up as why I'm, I'm people aren't going to cricket? Right. I'm swiping right just because they are playing it on the wrong time of the year. They, sh- they should be playing it Thursday, Friday or Saturday. And also you have got the school and it, and it is costly and there is um, a lot of things that they can watch and there, and there is a lot of saturation of the cricket as well. So I, I agree with that one. Nicely done. Hey, Nick, thanks so much for playing a bit of Cricket Tinder with us. Thanks. Well, good luck with you too. Thank you very much, Nick. Hey, Dave's in Richmond who wants to do a bit of swiping. Hello, Dave. Hi, different topic today, Sam. We've moved on from Tassie. Yeah, great There's stuff. So are you swiping left question, or right on uh, Mike Hussey? I'm absolutely right. I think we are oversaturated with sport, not just cricket, everything, and there is only so much money to go around. Um... I remember back in the days I used to go to the G and there was 70000 for a one-dayer. The reason why, because you couldn't watch it on TV. We've gone to all these streaming platforms and too many competitions, too many matches, and that's why the crowds are down. And I think it'll be interesting to see next year with the AFL if the crowds are down based on this extra cost of living pressure. And I think they will be down a little bit. It'll be interesting to see that, though. Uh, one more for you, Dave, uh, as a cricket fan. Mitch Swepson's hoping to get a test recall if and when the opportunity presents. Um, so Mitch Swepson, is he a walk-up start to be our next incumbent spinner? So what, left for disagree, right to agree? Is he an spinner or a leg spinner? He's a leggy. Uh, I think so. We don't have a leggy at the moment, do we? We've only got um, Gary. Yeah, we've only got Gary uh, at the moment, so you're swiping right on that. Hey, Dave, thanks so much for the call. Greatly appreciated. Thanks for playing. It is an interesting one about Mitch Swepson. Is he the next in line? It's interesting having a look at the Sheffield Shield numbers for this year. Uh, Western, uh, playing for Western Australia, um, Rochiccioli has taken uh, 16 wickets for the year. Murphy from Victoria has taken 14 in just three Sheffield Shield matches, though. Um Chris Green, who's been a long time considered a white ball specialist, is finally getting a chance. Has played a couple of, has played two shield matches for New South Wales and has taken twelve wickets. Nine of those in one game. He took a fifer on debut. I wonder whether he could come in and play a similar role to what Nathan Lyon did. And Mitch Swepson's taken twelve for the year um, in five Sheffield Shield matches. So if you want to do some swapping and a big uppercut for myself for not having Bill Ponsford. Thank you to those who have pointed that out. I was just rushing to put that together before we went to air, and I haven't put Bill Ponsford in, so I will go and give myself a swift one to the chops during the ad break, and we'll come back and straighten ourselves up. But Ponsford, absolutely. And what we'll do too is we'll put a Twitter poll up and put all those names I mentioned in there uh, at SEN Afternoons. Um, Sammy will do that for us, and we'll get your view on the greatest opener in Australian Test cricket history. Afternoons, SEN. My blood runs Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Sam Hargraves in for Dwayne, uh, doing a little bit of footy tinder. Going to be hard to put that Twitter poll up. We can only put four nominations up on the greatest opener of all time, and I don't know if that's going to do it justice. We'll see what we can do there. Uh, a few off the text. What's wrong with Zampa after Lyon retires? Can handle the pressure, already plays internationally. Um, I don't know if by the time Lyon retires, Zampa will be a long-term replacement. 
maybe doesn't play enough long-form cricket, but is a great nomination. I should have thrown him into the mix because he's ranked number seven in both one-day internationals and T20s. Um, I think he could do the job uh, in the longer form, given the opportunity. It's a great nomination there. A lot of people mentioning Bill Ponsford. I'm sorry. I, I Just a brain fade from me. Um, average 48 in 29 tests. Only seven centuries, though. Does that mark him down? Um, a lot of people voting for Matty Hayden off the 40 Winks temper text. And on crowds, so many excuses. Too much cricket on, not school holidays, blah, blah, blah. You had the World Cup, no one watched. And now the Test Series, even less watching. But then the next text saying, you wait, they'll pack out the MCG for Boxing Day. News time. Afternoons on SEM. Uh, welcome back or two. Afternoons, you choose which category you fall into. Either way, I'm just wrapped to have you on board, and you can get even more so by calling 1300 736 736. Uh, midday Madness still continuing, the Midday Madness promise ever present, uh, that candle ever burning. Uh, you call, you get on 1300 736 awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year, where Kia makes buying cars. Easy. Uh, you can text in 0433981116 on the 40 Winks uh, temper text. Uh, consumer choice winner temper mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. Now, that sounds very comfortable, but it also sounds very alarming given the actual shape of my body. I'm not sure if I'd like to look down and see the imprint that I'd leave. But anyway, it'll be comfortable. So that's all you need to worry about. <laughs> Don't ad-lib the credit, Sam, for goodness sake. Um, off the text, we were doing some cricket Tinder before and Steve Smith saying that Dave Warner, arguably Australia's greatest opener. So that got the conversation rolling about who is Australia's greatest opener. And a couple of your 40 Winks temper texts. Best opener, Matty Hayden, intimidated bowlers, body of a Greek god, good cook, great bloke. Um, hi, Sam, all the best. Uh, I will go with Bill Laurie was one of the ones that we put up there as well. We're going to do a double poll. Uh, let's make sure Bill Laurie's on that one uh, as well. I did mention him before. Go Cats says Noel. So keep those coming through. A little bit of news that's just come to hand. Aren't they all fleeing the A-League ship like rats in a burning building? Just could not distance themselves anymore at the moment, uh, the A-League organisations. The next to really make a big song and dance about their opposition to the move uh, to hold the grand final for three years in Sydney is Adelaide United, uh, their chairman, Piet van der Poel, wishing to make the following statement. Adelaide United was not part of the decision to host A-League grand finals in New South Wales as it uh, is one of the Australian professional clubs without a seat on the APL board. As a proud club dedicated to the people of South Australia, we believe the decision has not been made in the best interest of fans. Um, we have waited until now to make an announcement to be fully appraised of the facts that have led to this outcome. I, I could read on, but I'm not going to. This is absolute... I don't like to use this word in political statements because I think when you do this, it means you run out of arguments. This is essentially virtue signalling. This is waiting to see what response you got and then as quickly as you can distance yourself from it. If you didn't like the decision, the day it came out, you would have put a press release out. But you've just seen the backlash. You weren't aware, you weren't anticipating the level of backlash, and you are just trying to appease your fans and side with them as quick as you can. I find that just to be, I find that to be incredibly hilarious and disappointing. The hysterics around this and the histrionics have got out of hand. I reckon um, the the victory chairman Anthony Di Pietro has now resigned from the board that he was a part of that made this decision because of the backlash that's come through as a result of it. 
it, it just seems it just seems a little bit late. I would have thought if you were that against it, surely you would have spoken up earlier. Um, you're just trying to curry favour. I mean, and people are smart. People, the fans are smart enough to see that. I don't know how it helps now, by the way, to walk away from the board. Um, could you not have stood by your decision and explain it? Or could you stay on to try and correct it if you're that against it now? People can change their mind, but what does quitting do? Um, I want to talk more about this a little later. Um, but before we do that, um, we've got some very special guests standing by. Well, the role into, of technology in sport is one that absolutely fascinates me. The quest to run faster, to be able to jump higher, to be able to hit harder, to be able to protect ourselves better. And when it comes to golf, to be able to hit longer, hit straighter, eradicate mistakes. Technology is playing such a crucial role in the advancement of sport and the performance in sport. I thought it was a great opportunity to have a chat uh, about it. Now, we were going to have this chat, uh, myself and my partner in crime on Off The Tee, our dedicated golf show on SEN with Nick Ahern. But Nick, our, 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 uh, our run finished for the year. So you had the idea that let's bring in our guest anyway with you and we will have a chat uh, about all things technology in sport. Hello, first of all, to you. G'day, Sam. It's great to be here. Yes, it was my fault because uh, the Cathedral <laughs> Invitational got in the way. I had to play some golf and we sort of, uh, you know, finished up with the Australian Open preview, which we're going to talk about. And uh, But we're going to get going next year and uh, this will be part of it, obviously. Absolutely. So I didn't even introduce you in my normal way. The former world number 16, the only man with the two-zip record <laughs> in match play golf against Tiger Woods. It's great to have you here. A couple of things we have to cross off with you. But uh, the man that we are going to be exploring the role of technology in sport with, that uh, we couldn't have found anyone better to do it. Head of Performance Research at Ping. Ping were a sponsor of ours on Off the Tee, and we greatly appreciated that. Jonathan Shepard, uh, PhD in Sports Engineering at Griffith University, uh, working in collaboration with Queensland Academy of Sport in applied high-performance context, uh, bachelor's degree in biomedical engineering, um, and was the president for the International Sports Engineering Association, the industry body for sports engineering sector. So we have hit the jackpot here. Jono, hello to you. G'day, mate. Thanks for having me on. Um, cannot wait to delve a little bit deep into the role of sport and technology. But Nick, a couple of things we have to cross off on. Mm. We haven't spoken, you and I, since the Australian Open. The first time ever men's, women's, all abilities run in conjunction across Victoria and Kingston Heath. Um, Adrian Moronk, a five-shot win over Adam Scott. Minwoo Lee in that top three as well on the men's. Ash Buhai had a one-shot win over G.I. Shin. But then a couple of shots back, Hannah Green, Grace Kim, one shot further back, and then Minji Lee. So our best Aussies were all in the mix. Um, and then uh, to Kip uh, Poppet, who won the All Abilities, what did you make of the, the whole four days and how it all played out? Oh, it was fascinating. I mean, we had basically three tournaments in one going at the same time. So I was commentating, doing uh, the TV work there with uh, with the crew, and it got a bit, not confusing, but there were so many different scenarios that mm. were playing out. However... I think, you know, we had the, the women's group uh, in the second last group of the day and then the men obviously playing behind them. So it was great viewing, I think, from the public to be able to see the men and the women play the same golf course together in separate tournaments. And I would have loved to have seen two Aussie winners, obviously. I had a soft spot, obviously, for Hannah Green coming from my home club at Mount Lawley in yes. Perth. I would have loved her to see her take it out. But Ashley Buhai was just too solid, basically. And Grace Kim, she had a great chance at the end Didn't there. Didn't she ever? Yeah. I mean, playing 17, I think she was tied for the lead. Took two to get out of the bunker. Only made the par because 17 was the par five for the women. And then the 18th, unfortunately, took two more to get out of a fairway bunker. Made double bogey. So Ashley Buhai 
ended up uh, only having to par the last to take out the win from G.A. Shin. So a fantastic win from, for the South African. She obviously won the Women's British Open earlier in the what year. What a year so she had. It's an incredible year for her. She had a husband on the bag as well, yeah, so I'm sure they celebrated emotion. pretty hard that night, which was good. And then on the men's side, I mean, Adam Scott, wouldn't it have been great to see him win the tournament? He had his chances, but Adrian Moronk, um, and I have, again, a soft spot for Adrian because he is a ping player. Uh, he drove the <laughs> ball. Done. Yes, he drove the ball, and his iron play was just outstanding, which goes to the quality of the equipment, obviously. But yes. he's an amazing player. One of those uh, swings where he's got the longest waggle or, you know, <laughs> pre-shot routine in the world as far as his uh, his waggle goes. He takes a full swing and you go, oh, he's about to hit it. No, he's not. So you kind of get a little put off by that. But once you get used to it, his ball striking that Sunday was just outstanding. Yep. I think he only missed one fairway, one green, and he took the tournament by the scruff of the neck. And Adam Scott had a great chance but hit two really bad tee shots on the back nine with yeah, iron. It was very strange, to be yeah. honest. I've, I've never seen him do that. So Adrian was a deserved winner. Um, he was the first Polish player to win on the DP World Tour earlier in the year when he won the Irish Open. Yep, already Poland's greatest ever golfer. Yeah, there you go. I mean, well, I'm not going to say that was too difficult but because there's not too many <laughs> golfers over there in Poland, and I may, I may cop it for that, obviously. But the but, beautiful uh, part was that Adam Scott was his childhood idol. Yeah, and they got to play together got in to the play final together. round. So that was pretty How special. good was that? Yeah. And then we had the all abilities, obviously. Kip Popper, I mean, the final round, I think he shot two or three under. That was incredible golf Brilliant out there golf. because Victoria Golf Club is not easy, let me tell you. Uh, so all in all, um, a, a raging success from my view, from your view uh, as well. And, geez, we had both predicted that, uh, you know, the, the fairy tale finish would have been Min Woo Lee and Min Ji Lee, both mm. uh, winning uh, brother-sister combo. It was very, very close to eventuating. The other thing that I had said on in another show was that my belief was that the, the winner would be someone, I, I thought we could get two Australian winners, and that would be the next stars that we are going to see take – the next ones to step up and put their name mm. in lights. Now, Min, uh, Min, Lee, Min Woo Lee has been just outside the top 50 at a time, but his performances in the back part of the year in the DP World Tour, he started to really show some of that consistency. I thought this could have been his moment, and I was really happy to see someone who I've been uh, talking about for a while with you, and that was Grace Kim, mm. who I saw come second by a shot in Dubbo in the New South Wales Regional Series. Um, she uh, was leading um, for a fair chunk, uh, day three? Yeah, I believe so. She, yeah. Day three, she was up there. Or maybe after day two, actually. I think she might have had the halfway lead. But she she really impresses. Um, she just got a card on the LPGA tour through the Symmetra tour, which is yeah. the secondary tour over there. We're going to see a lot of her next season. She hits the ball further than I do, which isn't that hard. But she, she <laughs> tried it. Had a great chance to take it out. And I think she'll learn a lot from yeah. it. Um, you know, it's it's not easy to win. It really isn't, especially – and I looked at the I looked at the women's leaderboard and I think the top six or seven players, other than Grace Kim, they'd all been multiple or at least one major champion. So yeah. uh, it was an incredible leaderboard on the women's side. It was. Uh, just quickly, Cathedral Invitational, mm. um, a playoff, Nick Flanagan beating uh, uh, Scott uh, Arnold. Kari Webb. Oh, I know. Yeah, Kari had it. She had it in had her it grasp. In her grasp. Yeah, she was playing beautiful. And I, I, I would have again, you know, selfishly, I would have loved to have been me winning, but I didn't play very well, unfortunately. Um, it took me a while to find you. On the, <laughs> had to go down the list a little. Yeah, it's, I haven't done any practice. You got to give me a bit oh, of lee. Okay. Yeah. Give me a bit of leeway. But, uh, but it was fun. I had a great time up there. I played with Todd Woodbridge the first day in the uh, the member pro section, and then the pros kept playing on the second day. But coming down the stretch, there was four players again. Grace Kim, yes, tied for the lead, playing the last. 
Unfortunately, she made bogey. Kari Webb had a two-shot lead with two to go. 17, there's a ravine to the right. Unfortunately, I don't think she knew where she stood. So she got a bit aggressive, hit it in the hazard, made double. And then on the last hole, she's got about a 20-footer down the hill for Birdie to win the tournament. And I wanted to run down there and tell her it is Frighteningly quick. I mean, this putt is one of the quickest on, on the golf course. I just said frighteningly there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she knocked it 10 foot past and three putted and made bogey to miss oh, out on the playoff. No. So uh, it was a shame. But Carrie loved it. We had a great time over the two days. Yep. The, the Monday night dinner was unbelievable. We had Vince, stories would have Vince been Sorrenti was, uh, was, good value, was the act. He was great fun. And uh, and then Nick Flanagan, I, I really uh, enjoyed the fact that Nick won. Sorry to, to, uh, to, to Jamie Arnold, but... Um, uh, it, w- it was great to see Nick win because uh, that'll really kickstart him again in his career. Uh, Mark Leishman at four under. Adam Scott, one under. Um, and then uh, at six over. Yeah, six, to Nick cu- Ahern. Look, a couple of 75s. <laughs> I played with... Uh, By the g- way, <laughs> I can't believe I'm hanging it on you. Oh, uh, I'm about to go and stink up that you, joint on Saturday. You, with- you would dream of shooting 75. <laughs> I, I, would, I would be <laughs> prancing around like I had just won in Augusta oh, yeah. if I had a six over <laughs> well, at Cathedral. Well, well, how's this for me, though? The second day, I played with Jed Morgan and yep. uh, Justin Warren. And the only t- I, I outdrove them once, right? Yeah. But, but they hit four and off the tee. And you hit? every I hit driver, of course. Every other time, I was about fifty to eighty meters behind mm. these guys. It is frightening how far they hit a ball. There was a hole there, which I was probably my proudest moment. The ninth hole, they both hit seven iron, a par three. I hit a five wood, but I got it inside him. So that was my proud moment of the two days. Well, wonderful cathedral invitation. Looks like it's going to be a mainstay on the schedule. Head of performance at Ping Golf. The role of technology in sport. You guys have got a new re- uh, performance research centre uh, for Ping, now, located in Phoenix, Arizona, but it's going to be uh, and is based in uh, Loughborough in uh, University in England, and you'll explain all that to us. But just talk to us about the work that you do specifically with Ping, and then we'll broaden it all out. Yeah, thanks for, uh, for having me on the show. Uh, so my job uh, and kind of head of performance research is to run kind of a team of five engineers uh, and we look at how the human interacts with the equipment. So we're really kind of trying to dive into the feel and the sound of a golf club. Uh, essentially, if you make a golf club for a robot, uh, that's not as hard a challenge uh, as you can imagine. But sadly for me, robots don't play golf. Uh, people play golf. Uh, and those people are unique uh, and beautiful in how they swing and pretty different. Um, you just have to rock up to your kind of first tee of any uh, any golf course locally and you'll see there's uh, plenty of guys swinging the same kind of pieces of equipment very differently. Uh, so my job is to work out how to make that work, uh, work with our design engineers and our innovation team to kind of get these concepts, get them through to market uh, and get them into product and kind of get people playing their best. So that's my role. So that's fascinating. The, 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 I'm thinking this is all going to be about the, you know, designing the club, but you're about matching the technology with the person and it's extraordinary. He is, yeah. And and for me, what you said about, uh, you know, if, if you designed a golf club for a robot, basically you could easily design the perfect club. But unfortunately, unfortunately, we're not robots. And everyone, if you go to a, the range, you know, down at wherever you play, or if you go to a PGA Tour event, mm. you'll see everyone with a different golf swing. So I'm fascinated how you match up golf clubs for each individual. Now, when I was playing on tour, the ping guys that were in the truck, they used to call me the least maintenance guy on tour, which is kind of strange. In a way, all I would ever do was go in there and I'd get my caps for the week and uh, maybe a few gloves or whatever. And um, uh, about every four or five months, I'd get my regrips done on my golf clubs. But pretty much whatever they brought out, technology-wise, they knew my specs. They knew exactly, okay, this is for Nick. 
he's going to try that. And I'd go, you know, swing or two, I'd go, yep, I love it. Nah, that one doesn't feel right. Bang, bang, bang. I'm amazed that you guys can do that with each individual golfer. I mean, what's the process like there? Yeah, so it's uh, it's pretty multifaceted, but I would say the games change drastically, uh, even in the five years that I've been working in the industry. Um, personal launch monitors, so kind of Doppler radar systems like TrackMan or GC Quad, a uh, camera system. Most players have access to these kind of tools at that top level now, uh, and they're taking shots and, and measuring things like ball speed, launch angles, spin rates. Uh, and then we have some kind of algorithms that we can work out what would be best for them um, given that week. So maybe uh, they want to try and flight it down a little bit and, and a different shaft might help achieve that without changing the feel or stiffness profiles that they really like. So uh, that's that's kind of one aspect of on the kind of fine tuning, the equipment side, the gear side. Um, that could be, you know, changing swing weights or or, or whatnot, but uh, we normally leave players as well. So it's players like yourself who are you know, low maintenance players, we, we won't come over to them and push on new technology, right? It's uh, it's normally a conversation between their their team and us of of uh, what we, could we do to help this situation given this different golf course and how do we optimize for some more wins? So, Jono, in in golf, the technology race is it all just about hitting longer, or is it um, about control? Is it about finding backspin for wedges? Is it about, um, you know, the weight of putters? Is it about the, the the ball itself? I mean, where's the, it's almost like an arms race, isn't it? And where is the arms race mainly centered on when it comes to golf? Yeah, so golf's a super fun engineering problem for me to work on because it's so uh, tightly governed by rules. Um, so with this quite narrow box, uh, things like coefficient of restitution, how much a ball should bounce off a face. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> well, gonna, big words. You're going to have to explain some of these stuff, Jono. <laughs> coefficient. Coefficient of restitution. So there's my one science word for Nick, you today. I, you got me. <laughs> I, I won't, I won't, I won't uh, bore you too much with big science words, but essentially it's how much uh, the ball would spring off the face. And, and the rules of golf dictate a certain limit so kind of companies can't be introducing what we call a spring-like effect. So there's rules to... One of those bouncy balls. Right, one of those bouncy balls. So the ball's governed and the club head is governed. Um, So we're we're kind of, I guess, tightly regulated. But with those regulations uh, means that you need to be really creative in your solutions. So for Ping, our company is really based on uh, kind of a moment of inertia. So trying to stop the club face from twisting and helping forgiveness. And uh, Carsten kind of was an original, he was an engineer, started the company 60 years ago. He moved his family over from kind of Norway uh, worked as an engineer and kind of was terrible at golf, made his own putter. And, and, uh, and, and he invented the rabbit ears on the TV, right? Rab- rabbit ears yeah. on the TV. Remember the rabbit ears on the TV that, that used was, to go up? Really? That was Carsten. He invented that. So. Worked wow. Working for General Electric at the time. Isn't that incredible? And then uh, it is. Uh, moved on to the golf space as he kind of made a few putters. Those putters, everyone was like, wow, you couldn't putt and now you can putt. What's going on? And back in the, in the 50s, golf wasn't a highly engineered sport like it is today. It, was, it had vastly more room for, for moving, moving and, and innovation and change. And Carsten brought these kind of fundamental engineering principles. Um, and then his son, John A., took over, uh, who also studied engineering. And his son, John K., kind of currently runs a company who also studied engineering. So we're a, a family of very nerdy engineers um, <laughs> who run the company. Um, but they're, you know, absolutely brilliant people. They, they care you know, so much about their staff and their players, They're the family of, of people who own and use Ping Golf Club. So it's uh, for me, it's a pleasure to work for them. But and, Well, you know, I was also just on that point of how you can, you know, increase performance through these parameters that you've got to stay within. I mean, there's a big, obviously, debate going on at the moment in the world of golf of 
the rules and regulations, you know, should mm. they roll back the ball? Should they do this and that? I mean, I, I wrote a bit about it. I, I just wrote a new book called How to Play Your Best Golf. And the opening chapter is about distance and, mm. and the lure of distance. And I've always said, well, if you want to hit a six iron further, you just hit a five iron. So, you know, <laughs> we've, we've got that. However, love that. with the driver, well, that's the one we obviously want to max out the most. Now, I, I could see the potential where um, – you know, the professionals have a certain set of rules and then the rest of the golfers out there, the amateurs, they have another set of rules for equipment. Can you sort of see that coming along, you know, in the game? Because you're obviously knee deep in this stuff and do you think it should come along? Because I am I see players in five, ten years hitting the ball easily 400 yards consistently. I mean, because everyone growing up now is basically taught to hit the ball hard. Mm. Speed is what we're after. When I grew up, it was all about control because I was using a persimmon wood and then a small-headed metal wood and the balls spun a lot. I mean, I'd love to see a ball that spins more so that these guys would go, hang on, um, you know, i got to get some control on the ball again, whereas now it's all about taking spin off the ball with the driver. So how does that sort of fit in with what you do, do you think? Yeah, so the kind of rule rollbacks is something that would be up to the two governing bodies of golf, the RNA and the USGA. As a golf equipment manufacturers, I think we don't want to go down the side of you know making people go out and buy more equipment for the sake of it mm. uh, based on a rule change. Also, innovation kind of schedules are very long. Uh, we, we work kind of eight years into the future um, and kind of five years or so in cycles of trying to understand what's coming down the pipeline. So any rule changes that occurred, I think there would be some large period before it did come online for the for the general public or yeah. for the elite game. Yeah, the one thing in your favour with the RNA and the USGA, they're very slow in doing these things. They take forever because they got to do their surveys and all this sort of thing. So, so you got that on your side for sure. But I'm seeing... You know, college programs in the US, you know, it's a lot of their recruiting is based on how far you hit the ball now rather than can, can you get the ball in the hole. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll teach that later, but you can't, it's hard to teach speed, obviously. Yeah, it's a good point. I think uh, Mark Brody from the kind of Columbia Business School wrote a book called Every Stroke Counts. Uh, and he's a good mm. kind of friend of, from, friend of ours. I actually work with his son at Ping. Um, uh, and uh, I think that's really kind of changed the approach of taking some t- statistics and going, yeah, if you do hit the ball further, you will have an advantage. Uh, so it makes sense that people would then recruit and, and try and optimize and maximize for that. For me as an engineer, a big sweeping rule change sounds like a lot of fun because mm. it means I get to go back to the toy shop and, and reinvent the rules <laughs> of what we can what we can uncover. Um, I think Ping, Blair, you know, prides itself in being the most knowledgeable company in, in golf, especially in the golf science front. We have 100 engineers who work on developing golf equipment, which is seems kind of ridiculous, uh, but it's a, it's a lot of fun to be around those people who are just driving forward to make sure you hit it straighter. It's kind of a big one and, and as long as possible within the rules. Uh, John O'Shepard is the head of performance research at Ping Golf. Um, the other part of this too, though, is how far do you go before you lose the essence of what the game is? And you were sort of touching on that, Nick. So... Is it really, Jono, an arms race? Because as you say, you don't want people to have to buy new clubs every other every uh, every couple of years because they have to try and keep up. Um, so there's the, the, the conscience side of it, the ethical side of it as well when it comes to keeping people it achievable for people, making it viable for people, but also making sure that the game isn't unrecognisable um, you know, in 10, 25, 30, 50 years' time. 
Yeah, we, we've actually partnered with a data company called Arcos, and we have sensors that plug into our golf clubs. Um, and uh, so we've captured about 100 million shots on golf courses with, in what I'd say is real golfers, and we can look at their data and compare it to our test data and make sure we're engineering the right things. But one thing is that the general population kind of isn't really hitting it longer. Our research wouldn't say that your average punter uh, at a golf course is longer and straighter than they were before. However, the elite game has become a lot more physical, a lot more trained, our optimizations are, you know, pretty solid and sound for them. Imagine an F1 race car driver and then comparing that to someone driving their Prius to, to Coles or Woolies to <laughs> pick up the milk. You know, it's, it, yeah. is a, it is a different game at the top echelon. And um, I can understand this is where you know, Nick touched on bifurcation or having different equipment, maybe balls or clubs for the elite to the amateurs. And that could be a solution that the, the rules bodies decide. But yeah. um, that would just be speculation for me because as, as an engineer, we just wait to see what the rules come out and then... Uh, we, we run away with it all. But um, yeah, data data is a big part of the game, but I don't think your average person is, is hitting it miles too far to, to protect golf courses. Mm. What I think we should be focusing on is how do we get people into golf? Uh, how do we get more you know young girls, young boys uh, from all abilities, all ages, playing golf and, and trying to drive uh, what is a great sport, You know, get outdoors and, and, and kind of have fun with some mates. Mm. So for me, that's where I'd love to see some rule change, and I don't know what that means. But the more we can promote the game, um, the the better for me. Yeah, and I'm I look, I'm all for Sam getting more distance, enjoying his game a bit more because <laughs> oh, I haven't seen his golf swing yet. Just but, accuracy would be fine. But yeah, but but he tells me about it quite a lot. So I, I'm all for the average golfer to normally get, in to, a state of panic <laughs> <laughs> to just get as much out of their game as possible. Yeah. But but we're talking, you know, at the elite level, at, at the tour pro level, I guess you'd say less than you know half a percent of players, basically maybe point one of percent of of the golfers that are out there so i can definitely see that bifurcation uh, as you're talking about now sort of switching a bit away from that um you guys just don't obviously deal in uh golf club design and all that but i I was reading like you you know you're trying to create the perfect head cover and things like that i mean how far do you go with this stuff because like my caddy he was saying i've always wanted this perfect bag you know i mean the 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 tour pro caddies out there that that's that's like a a mythical thing for them almost just to have this perfect bag whenever Mm. they got it i'd usually throw a brick or two down the bottom just to weigh it down on them a little bit more so they go hang on why why is this heavy (laughs) what sort of things also are you looking at um you know creating yeah so uh anything to do is with golf itself we're kind of interested in the head cover one you bring up is really interesting uh we've had our ceo watching some golf and a head cover blew away from a competitor brand. And so that was a straightaway a research question. What miles of hour of wind does our current head cover blow away? <laughs> and we had a bunch of interns out in the range in, in ping uh, HQ in Phoenix with a uh, kind of leaf blowers essentially seeing what what tire, you know, what number it was at. And then for him going, okay, well, that's not good enough. Make it 25% better for the next one. So uh, we, we go into all sorts of detail from uh, accelerated weathering tests on those, so putting you know, a head cover essentially in UV light, exposing it to two years of wear and making sure it doesn't discolor or fade wow. uh, to really try and kind of keep you know, our customers happy and, and make sure everyone's uh, doing the right thing. Um, I want to ask you about other sport, um, but surely there's a design coming very soon for people like me that is basically a, a homing beacon um, f- to find my ball. <laughs> I mean, if I could, an app where you're just on your phone and beep, 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 and just be able to find that and where my tea goes. Uh, after I... <laughs> so you don't put you don't put the string in the ground or whatever. But, you know, have you seen those? Where you I have haven't the... seen those. Um, <laughs> so there's there's a job uh, for you guys with the ball tracker. Uh, actually, be able to track the ball when I've lost it. Um, 
What about other sport? Because as I mentioned before, Jono, um, you, uh, in one of your many roles, uh, you've also been the president of the International Sports Engineering Association, the industry body for sports engineering sector. Are there any other sports that you can give us an insight to that are doing or about to or making quantum leaps in, in technology and, and, and what it might do to change the face of those particular sports? Yeah, so, I mean, the world of sports is always super exciting. There's always, uh, you know, tons of innovations coming to market. Um, obviously, FIFA World Cup on at the moment. The Football World Cup is kind of an exciting one, and we work with FIFA a little bit in their kind of quality assurance programs to mm. work out, you know, what's offside and what's not offside. Uh, the new ball this year has a smart sensor inside the ball, which detects spin rate. Uh, it actually ruled out, you know, Ronaldo, I think, scoring a goal. It got kind of changed to somebody else because we didn't see any deflection from the ball data after the match. So uh, I'm sure he took that well. He's taken a lot well at this World Cup. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm sure yeah. it went down like a lead balloon. Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, I think across across the world and uh, athletes are trying to get faster and technology's always been a way of pushing that boundary. So Just one, concussion is a massive one in AFL um, here, rugby league, but it's sort of stemmed from... Um, research that was coming out earlier in the US with the NFL. What can you? Is there anything you can tell us about what might be happening in the headgear space for contact sports and um, any technology? Because it, it's maybe one of the biggest threats to participation in um, contact sports is um, the fear of concussion and the long-term effects of it. Yeah, so uh, better regulations are coming down the pipeline. I believe I read last week that in Scotland they're not allowing players to head balls the day before or the day after the game to try and kind of reduce any impact injuries. But uh, player monitoring is always a big deal. So a lot of these athletes are wearing GPS tracking units, which have you know, inertial sensors inside, which can measure uh, acceleration changes. And then any time that person is at risk, we can tell from the data rather than just going up to speak to them. Uh, yeah, fascinating. I mean, I'm I'm just blown away by all this mm. information that's uh, you know yep. coming out. I mean, at uh, one last question for me at Loughborough University, um, are there other you know companies like golf companies or sports companies there that are um, you know doing similar sort of thing there? Because obviously this university is one of the biggest in England, and uh, you know they have a and obviously a, you know a massive expanse of, of of technology and brains going on there, which are very, very smart people, well above our pay grade. Mm. Uh, Sam, are there other companies there that you can sort of pick brains from as well? Yeah, exactly. So uh, Loughborough University is kind of the largest sports university in the UK, um, but they're very good at engineering, which is also helpful. So Rolls-Royce has a little side on campus. Um, but in the in the sports world, uh, kind of the England cricket team has their high performance centre there and then other sports, so uh, British triathlon and British swimming um, the Nepal teams, they, they train out of that base regularly. So um, it's always fun kind of crossing paths with their data analysts and their technologists to ask, you know, what they're working on. Jono, this has been uh, incredibly uh, fascinating and a great insight into the role of technology in sport, mate. Um, Jono Shepard's the head of performance research at Ping Golf, uh, born and raised in Canberra, uh, over in the US in Phoenix and now over in Loughborough University in England in travelling the world and changing the world uh, of sport uh, through technology it's uh it's it's incredible stuff mate thanks for sharing it with us yeah thanks for having me in appreciate it thanks johnny uh big thanks to nick ahern and of course kids that is why you study hard uh, at school and at university uh the biomedical engineering and phd in sports engineering that john o'shepard has him traveling the world uh, and maybe changing it uh, as well. Uh, thanks to both of those gents. Have your say on technology and sport. one three hundred seven three six seven three six 736 736 or 0433 uh, I'm criminally late for the news, April, and I humbly apologise to you, your whole family. Um, please, please forgive me. 
6736, Werribee Kia Open Line, Troy and Collie in WA. Hello, mate. How are you, Sam? Good, thank you. Good. Hey, this is the Sam Radio. Sam, the announcer, Sam, the producer. God, Taking over the world one Sam at a time. Um, yeah, Sam, Sam Fantasia. <laughs> yes, well, we could debate Fantasia or Fantasia, um, but he says it's Fantasia. So, uh, Troy, what did you want to say about tech in sport, my man? Um, well, you follow sport like I do, obviously. Oh, um, the tent block cricket, you know, the bats are 100 foot wide. The tennis rackets, they've come a long way, and, and you're just talking about golf clubs. But I'm wondering if they're putting technology into what they're actually hitting, Sam, the balls. Oh, heaps, Troy. Yeah? Oh, yeah. And they're they're spending a lot of money and time on revolutionising golf balls. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought they might be, but what, are they trying to make them bigger or just make them um, out of better material? Oh, or? how they flight, how they spin, um, how they wear. Um I know that uh, I've spoken to guys at Callaway um, who have uh, been very generous to me um, and the work that they've put into their ball, they reckon they're um, shaved shots off their pros that they weren't able to shave off previously and that equates to a, a fair amount of dollars on what they're able to earn for the results that they get. So, yeah, the ball technology is um, right up there in the forefront of a lot of what's happening in golf, Troy. Yeah. I just wish they'd make one that went straight, Sam. <laughs> I think that's got to, more to do with you and I, Troy. Uh, mate, love your work. Thanks for the call. Greatly appreciate it. We'll speak to you again soon. Um, 1300 736 736 Werribee Kia open line. We'll talk a little bit about A-League uh, on the other side of this after Adelaide United. Uh, it took them a couple of days, but they've finally now decided they're not happy with this decision um, from the game itself uh, to host the next or stage the next three A-League and W-League, E-League grand finals uh, in Sydney. We'll talk about that next on Afternoons. Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Sam Hargraves in for Dwayne. Well, the hysteria that has ensued is quite extraordinary after the A-League's decision um, to bring $20 million reportedly into their coffers to try out a new way of staging their grand final for three years, only three years, not till the end of time. Um, that the, for the next three years at the A-League Grand Final will be hosted uh, in Sydney, uh, A-League, W-League, E-League as well. The hysteria that has ensued off the back of this is at levels that I think are unprecedented. Um, the, the cries of, this has ruined the World Cup. How on earth has this ruined what Australia did at the World Cup? They have totally ruined it and taken attention away from it because everybody has sooked it up to levels that I've never seen. Um, I, I thought that the... Um, I thought that the decision that the uh, AFL um, made uh, earlier this year that had everybody um, believing that the game was uh, going to come to an end and, and not be anything like we'd seen ever again, um, only for uh, that to pretty much for the um, the abu- umpire abuse. Um, I thought we thought that was going to be the end of the world. We're acting like this is going to be the end of the world as well. Um, We've got people threatening to walk out of games. The victory chairman, Anthony DiPiero, who was part of the APL board that made the decision, has now resigned from it um, after the backlash from fans. Now, Adelaide United have released a statement saying, we weren't part of the decision uh, and wanted everyone to know that. 
Uh, and as a proud club dedicated to the people of South Australia, we believe the decision has not been made in the best interest of our fans. We've waited until now to make an announcement to be fully appraised of the facts that have led to this outcome. That's rubbish. You were appraised of the facts of uh, why that was happening. You were informed of the decision before it went public. You've just seen the response to the decision, and now you're backpedalling from it. Um, I find it all pretty disingenuous. Where were you when the announcement was made? Um, now it's just grovelling and pandering and su- trying to suck up to the supporters who have said they're not happy with it. And they're well entitled to say that. But how do you know this isn't going to work? Your game needs money and it needs exposure. This has provided both. And I'm just wondering of what walking away from the board does. How does that help change things moving forward? Be in a position to make change. Either stand by your decision or work towards correcting it. But by walking away, that's not giving any service to the fans that you're supposedly aligning yourself with. The APL is sticking fat on the decision. And here's my question. If you if your team made a grand final, but they weren't the home team, would you still go? If you're that passionate, if your team made an A-League grand final, but weren't the home team, would you still go? Of course you would. If you could, you would. And you have. Look at 2019, off the stadium. Perth Glory, Sydney FC, 56,000 people. Not a sellout, by the way. So when you keep telling me, oh, every other grand final sold out, these ones won't because no one will go. That's not a sellout, but it's a pretty good crowd. And they weren't all wearing Perth Glory colours. 2018, Newcastle at home to Melbourne Victory. 29,000 people at McDonald Jones Stadium. That's not a sellout. But Victory fans travelled. 2017, Sydney FC, Melbourne Victory. 41,000 at Allianz Stadium. Not a sellout. But Melbourne Victory fans travelled. You have travelled. You will travel again. How do you know this won't work? It's only for three years and you're acting like the world is ending. You criticise your game for not doing enough to change and not, not coming up with ideas to bring more people to it and to not be front and centre, um, to not be progressing forward. You bemoan the TV deal, this and that. They're trying to implement change and it has been absolutely um, sooked up from the moment that the announcement was made and we haven't even seen one grand final to see if it will work. The hysteria around this is extraordinary and it's almost a little embarrassing one three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen to have your say on it. James wants to, Matt wants to. We'll do it after the break. Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. I knew it wouldn't take long for the good messages to be replaced by the bad. I, uh, I'm going to read all of them, by the way. Uh, but James and Mooney Ponds has been waiting patiently to have his say on the A-League Grand Final. James, thank you for calling to give your view, mate. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking my call, Sammy. I do appreciate it. Um, yeah, look, it's this is one of those times in a, a sport and a league that's going to define it for the next couple of decades. We saw 2015 with the Rebecca Wilson um, stuff that happened with the fans. The fans spoke up, the fans protested, and the fans won. This is the exact same. I'm heavily involved with one of these clubs that are staging these walkouts and we're all united on this. Regardless of any issue that we've got between each other or with rivalries on match days, with any of our beliefs with our different clubs and the standpoints of the clubs in the way that they conduct themselves during the season... We put our differences aside and everyone is united against this. We'll see walkouts on Saturday. Can you, can you explain see, to me why, James? But can you just tell what, what has upset you so much 
about a three-year decision? It's the fact that this has been working since 2005, where the home team who's finished first, who's earned it, who's worked so hard throughout the season, or the highest-placed team to make the grand final, earns the right to be at home. The players earn, earn the right to be asleep in their beds on, before a match day. The fans deserve to not have us spend any money to travel. They earn the right to do this, and it's worked. We've seen it work. We've seen fans travel. We've seen massive home turnouts, and all it's doing is selling out our league. James, I don't want to cut you off, so hold on after the news. I want you to keep being able to have your say. I just can't move the news. Stay with me, mate. I want to keep hearing what you've got to say. I'm being told I need to listen to heart and soul fans. It sounds like you're one of them. So after the news with April, you can continue to tell me why this has upset you so much. Uh, Afternoons on SEN. Afternoons on SEN. A big final hour to spend with you. Werribee Kia open line one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Always open. Awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Forty Wings temper text and there's some rippers. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Consumer Choice winner. Uh, temper mattress pillows and adjustable base conforms the exact shape of your body. In the next hour, Gurinder Sandu after two thirty. Uh, Sydney Thunder uh, exciting win last night uh, at Monica Oval in Canberra over the Stars to kick off BBL twelve. The great Gary Ayres is going to join us uh, after Hawthorne's presidential election uh, was won by Andy Gowers last night. Uh, Mickey Barlow is going to join us uh, to talk about the new wildcard round that's uh, being uh, implemented uh, in the VFL season. But I, I wanted to hear from you, the the, the dyed-in-the-wool, the passionate A-League fan. I've made my point that I think that the hysteria around a three-year decision to try something different, to bring some money and bring some different exposure and just mix up how you're going to run your grand final um, isn't the end of the world and maybe the hysteria is a little overblown. But I want to hear from you, um, the, the week-in, week-out A-League fan. And that's exactly what James is. James, you were making your point about why this is so upsetting to A-League fans, why um, this is so painful and why you're staging a walkout on the weekend. Mate, continue on and thanks for holding. No, thanks for that. Um, yeah, look, at, like I was saying, you know, fans are walking out, we're walking out, we're staging this because at the 20th minute mark we're going to walk out and people ask us why. We want to make that known that this could have been one of the biggest games in the season in the last decade for a derby. We saw a derby against Melbourne City in victory where City won, where Melbourne City packed out a full away base and Melbourne victory had a full north end. That was one of the best atmospheres you would ever get in an A-League match. We could have had that. We want to show them that what they could have had, but because of this decision and because of their greed and because of wanting a quick buck in their, in their pocket and wanting to so-called try and improve the league and saying they've consulted their fans when... We're all paying members. We work hard for our money. We do everything right by the club, and not one of us was consulted. I know many people from Melbourne Victory and Melbourne City and West United, and not one person was consulted. They lie about it. They give in to the greed, and all it does is make us feel betrayed because at the end of the day, these clubs are basically going on by their fans. If we're not there, there's nothing. And we want to show them and everyone around the league. I'm just a fan. I'm not a worker for the club. I'm not a player. I'm not anything. I'm just a normal, work, hard-working person who yep. pays their money for a club yep. because I love it. And them. you are exactly what the game is all about. I don't doubt that for a second. Fans are the lifeblood, and I don't doubt that in any way, shape, or form, James. But how do you know it won't work? And how do you know that the money that they're made from it can't be put to good use? And let's hope they do. Let's hope we've been hearing from parents 
all through the week about the cost of having juniors, um, uh, you know, cost of putting kids through juniors and how the juniors are funding up rather than the game funding down. So to bring more money in and what it might be able to do, how do you know that this won't work having a set venue for, for the grand final? Who's going to go? Who's going to be able to get leave off work? If these games and they're proposing suspected, oh, it's going to be a great week for football. All right, great, perfect. You're going to have a week off, they're saying. All right, so just say if you... I'm, I'm going to put a scenario to you. Sure. There's a lot of people who I know and a lot of people around Australia. You know, you work a corporate job, you work an office job, right? Your, your team makes the grand final. You can't predict that. You could be sitting first. Adelaide United could be first in the ladder all year and bow out in straight sets in the semifinals. Right? And they could have planned a trip to Sydney and it could all go to waste. You could, you could finish sixth for all, or even fifth, and it could be a fifth versus sixth A-League grand final. Right? That fifth team would not expect to be in the grand final, so they wouldn't have planned it. Imagine having to take leave off work or anything like that to go cover this to go to a grand final. Prices of flights would be spiked because of it. Impossible. I was just in Sydney this weekend for Melbourne City versus Sydney. It cost me $800 to get there with accommodation and flights and all together, right? I don't, you know, want to really spend that money if I don't have to because I love my club and I love my league. I've been supporting this league since I was five. Have you ever travelled you know, to watch games been... before, James? Have you travelled to watch games before? Mate, I've been, I've been to about 12 games away in the last six years. Yep. I've been, I, was, yep. I was at the Riley McGree Scorpion Kick semi-final where we lost to Newcastle. I was at the game we lost in the 120th minute to Adelaide. I was at when we lost to the 4-0 to the um, to Adelaide in the FFA Cup final. I've been all of these. I know the pain and I know how much money that people put into this league to go watch it. We don't care. We go to we, we all say it. There's no bad away day. There's just a bad result. I don't. I'm more than happy if we finish second and we have to go to an away grand final because the home team who's finished first or on top of us has earned the right for it. They were the best mm. team on the day and they were the best team for the whole season. I've got no problem with that. But when you're the top team and you're forced to go over to Sydney to play, oh, yeah, great, Danny Townsend saying that we'll get our, you know, our, our home change room and all, that does nothing. That does nothing. You don't have a, you don't have a sold-out south end of Amy Park where you know, Melbourne City or the home north end of victory yep. of, of, of yep. it booming. The fans know this. The fans know what their home is. I didn't feel like I was at home at Sydney, obviously, because we were chucked into a small away bay on Sunday. And I don't think I'd feel like I was at home if I was chucked into the home end at Sydney with that safe standing if we made the grand final and finished first. Nothing feels like home apart from your home ground and where you've been for every single home match since you can remember. It's not something that we want to change. We're not England. It's not the FA Cup final. We're not a, we're not a knockout league. We're an actual league. You see the MLS. James, would it be fair to say, though, that you haven't even been going for 20 years, so you're still trying to figure out what you are and how the best way to run your competition is? And I don't know if you've found that yet in the A-League. You've only been going since 2004, haven't you? So when you say we're not this, yeah, you're not, but I don't know if you know what you are yet. And surely experimenting for just a few years is a way of finding that out. You may very well be right. You may very well be 100, but there might be nobody go to these games. And in, if that's the case, then the A-League do have to have a look at it and say, well, you know what, we tried something, it didn't work, listen to the fans, they voted with their feet. But what if it does work? And then you found a different way to do something to help it grow the league and expand the league and bring more revenue and more people and new people to the league and make it stronger. It's not going to happen. People, have, we've all agreed. The, the people who run these active supporters group in Victory City, Western, Sydney, the RBB in the Western Sydney, Adelaide, 
everyone has agreed to boycott the finals for the next three years okay. because you can't give in to this corporate greed. It's not, you know what? It's a very, very, very different story. If these clubs came to us in this last 12 months, like Danny Townsend said in his interview yesterday, which was completely scripted, because they chose specific questions off Twitter. They didn't. They didn't get the bad ones. They didn't get the controversial ones. They picked the ones that they really wanted to answer that would, you know, be easy to answer and not cause any scrutiny. Sure. If they came to us in the last 12 months and said, all right, the APL have come to us and they've said that they might think about hosting the grand finals the next three years in a state, what do you think? You, the fans, you're the ones who pay the money. You're the ones who come to the ground. You're the ones who give us revenue, put food on our tables, the ones who work for the clubs. What do you think about it? We've seen clubs like the RBB, you know, in Western Sydney, the Wanderers. They were founded by their fans. That club is for the fans. Their colours were made by the fans. The name was made by the fans. They are for the fans. And all these clubs conjure on about being for the fans. If you're for the fans, consult us and talk to us. James? Because James, I, I love – James, I'd I have to jump in because I've got two guests waiting to, to jump on. Mate, I, I, I love your passion. Uh, I do. Um, I want to give you a prize. How about a double pass to Melbourne City and Melbourne Victory this Saturday night? Oh, mate. I'm joking. Oh, I'm joking, James. James, I was just being uh, a smartass. Um, how about a $50 Brick Lane Brewing voucher? Um, Brick Lane Brewing, one love, pale ale, perfect for all occasions. The ultimate crowd pleaser, drink responsibly. Thank you for giving me the fans and the real, uh, you know, the, the died in the wool week in, week out fans perspective, James. Uh, it's been really helpful and it's wonderful to be able to have the, the conversation with you. Thanks for your call. Um, Michael Barlow has been waiting patiently through all of that. Um, Mickey B, AFL Nation commentator, coach of the Werribee Footy Club uh, in the VFL. Hello. Hello, my friend. Sammy, I enjoyed that. That was um, like a high school debate. Really enjoyed it. And uh, I'm sure all the listeners did too. But good to speak to you again. Oh, mate, uh, I've missed you. How are you? Going well. No, life's good. Um, what are we, middle of December? And I think I'm a bit run down with the cold weather. So, well, how, how bad's this weather? How bad's this weather? <laughs> it's, it's borderline. I had a look. And I know I'm not here to talk about the weather, but I've had a little sneak peek towards the weekend. My birthday on Sunday, Sam, 35, um, and the sun pops out, and I think we warm up next week. The VFL introducing a wild card round for 2023. Uh, explain to us how this is going to work before we get your thoughts on it. Yeah, so, um, yeah, wild card round. So the VFL, again, for those maybe not fully aware of what it looks like, it's uh, the, the comp now has 21 teams. And it has, you know, the teams from, from Queensland and Sydney, um, Involved, so you know, Southport is a standalone entity in Queensland, Brisbane Lions, um, Gold Coast Reserves, and then GWS and um, Sydney Reserves as well. So it's more of the Eastern Seaboard competition, still referred to as the VFL, which came with a bit of critique. Um, mm. But yeah, looking to looking to add the the wild card round in um, the week before the finals officially commence, which will be kind of year seven, eight, nine, and ten team in a in a twenty one team comp. So. Maybe a year too late, Sammy, as the Werribee Footy Club um, finished up in 10th <laughs> this season. I'm sorry, mate. Um, but, hey, if you get there again next year, you know that you'll still be, uh, you know that you'll still be, you know that this time you'll be right in the mix. Um, what's been the response from the VFL sides, Mick? Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I, I often have the lens of a, of a standalone Club, like looking back at the season just gone, coming out of COVID, um, you know, 2021, we, we had half a season. And this season, we get a full season out. And the, the finals makeup of the VFL was 
um, and credit to them, you know, the, the Sydney Swans, um, Brisbane Lions, Southport and the Gold Coast Suns all make finals in their first um, full season in the comp. Um, only one standalone side was able to make the finals this season in Southport. So looking at it through the lens um, of a standalone, and, and you know, we have all sides have challenges, you know, even the AFL aligned clubs, sometimes with um, emergencies being held over for AFL games and, and the like, but um, the, the challenges I think confronting standalone clubs in particular this year were, were fairly strong um, in terms of a slashed salary cap and um, you know some restrictions on on personnel you could pick um, based on age at, uh, at times throughout the year. So I think that the wild card round and um, a, a lift in, in salary cap for, for standalone clubs and an adjustment to the under twenty two rule. Um, so we're talking about the wild card round right now, but there has been some some firm adjustments um, for, from my point of view to, to just assist um, an uncompromising um, uncompromised nature of, of standalone clubs being able to, to fully compete against um, you know, professional athletes on the, on the weekly. Um, what do you think the benefits of the wild card round would be, Mick? Yeah, well, it clearly would, would make, it gives that depth of, of team um, more hope to, to prolong their season into September if, if you know, you probably... Look at the the season this season, and um, as I said, our, our side would have made the wild card round uh, going into that last last game. There was a, a spattering of teams kind of around that kind of I think it was about eight to to thirteenth or fourteenth that, that would have um, you know results going your way and and whatnot and, and performing yourself, you, you, you get an opportunity. So um, twenty one team comp, I think it, it makes a fair bit of sense to to extend and mm. and give a wild card round. Um, and you know the top six teams now. It, it probably looks at the top six that really get the benefit of a of a week off um, off the wild cards go at it. And I'm sure, like commercially, there'll be opportunities as well um, for for those sides that make it in terms of you know, access to, to probably uh, broadcast Channel Seven games and whatnot. So um, yeah, just continually evolving this new league. What- if you were to crystal ball, say, in 10, 20, 30 years, where do you think the VFL will be at, Mick? I've been having conversations about the draft age and um, as bodies harden, uh, as the game and, and the athletes in it get fitter, stronger, faster, uh, and maybe the gap between the established uh, bodies and then the, the kids coming through at 18, maybe 18 just won't be, uh, I suppose, ethically right. Um, it won't be the right thing to do to young underdeveloped bodies that were still developing bone density, yeah, all that kind of stuff. So maybe the draft age will grow up. Maybe the, they'll need to be a more universal second year competition. What, what, if you were to predict now where the VFL is going to be in 10, 20 years time, where do you see it? Yeah, probably a couple of, couple of, couple of layers to the answer. I think from looking at the, the draft just gone, um, I can't tell you exactly how many players were picked, but, it, I'd, I'd suggest it was nearly a record low um, in terms of players' picks. So clubs are looking to, I suppose, invest kind of those, those extra year or two um, into the players they've already got by, you know, the re-rookie system, which um, I, I somewhat, well, not somewhat, I, I really do despise the, the ability of clubs just to drop players off and, and <laughs> then, um, you know, bring them back in via the rookie list. So there's, I think you look at the rookie draft, um, Sammy, I did the math on it a, a couple of weeks ago. In the last kind of three years, um, there's probably been anywhere between, I think it's 10 and 15 guys that have been re rookie to their initial club. 
or the club that they listed them um, at the end of the season and then re-rookied and they bring them back in probably for a bit of safety or, or there is a bit of probably salary cap stuff and an understanding system and um, whatnot. But at the same time, the 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 career mortality 12 months later for those guys, I think is about kind of 70 or 80% or 90% that they're out the door within the 12 months or at the end of the next 12 months anyway. So um, it's probably a little um, a longer way to answer your question that, that clubs are probably looking at the moment at, at underdeveloped. Um, you know, the top end 18 year olds are always going to get in and deserve to get in. Um, and you see them come in and, and make immediate impacts. Nick Dacos, Matt Rowe, um, you know, off the top of my head, come in and are ready to play at 18. Um, whereas the the rest, it's um, yeah, very much showing through the club's actions by by drafting less and and probably looking more so in particular to the to the um, to the hardened bodies and state league players or or recycled AFL players with mm. those um, rookie picks. Hey, Mick, uh, love catching up with you. Uh, hope fatherhood's going well. It is, yeah. No, there was a, a couple of nights recently, Sam, and you, you probably, you and I have mm. uh, young young children that are exactly, well, babies, are nearly yep. exactly the same age. Yes. Um, we're going through that phase at the moment that um, I think she's starting to realise that she can, she can shift from the routine, and the routine um, compromises mum and dad's life fairly significantly. Yes. So we're just battling through that yes. at the moment, mate, but... All is good, as they say. Um, Hang in there. It makes a tough day. and makes a tough day and, and a, a, a joy when you get home and, and you see the smiling face. Absolutely. Even if it is screaming. Yes, ab- is screaming. absolutely. Uh, love your work, mate. We'll chat to you soon. Have a good Chrissy to you and yours. Good on you, Sammy. You too. Uh, Michael Barlow, AFL Nation, uh, seven footy as well. Werribee Football Club coach after the wildcard round implemented. Uh, a break, and when we come back, Gary Ayres on Afternoons SEN. Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne Dwell with Dwayne Russell. Uh, it was great to chat to Michael Barlow a little earlier for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Sam Hargraves in for Dwayne. Hawthorne have a new president, a 91 Premiership player, Andy Gowers, uh, winning the vote to be Hawthorne's next president at the Hawthorne AGM last night. Uh, he won that election against Peter Nankerville, just for those who still think that he was actually running against Jeff Kennett, although it did feel like that at times. It was actually Andy Gowers uh, and Peter Nankerville duking it out um, in uh, an election that got uh, quite acrimonious, uh, disappointingly. Um, there has been um, rancour and tension around Hawthorne for the last couple of years, and hopefully this uh, puts paid to all of that, and it's a united Hawthorne moving forward, as every club hopes for um, in the way that their club is run. One man who was in the corner uh, of Andy Gowers was his 91 Premiership teammate, the five-timer. Yes, the five-timer. Uh, there was the greatest back line in football history, Collins, Langford, and this man, Gary Ayres. Gary, hello. G'day, Sam. How are you? Uh, look, I'm all the better for speaking to you. You know that. Um, uh, <laughs> what, you, what did you... So it's been reported that you were firmly in the corner of Andy Gowers and you were looking for, for change uh, at Hawthorne Football Club. Why did you um, uh, put your plant your flag with Andy? Well, Andy got on the phone and had a bit of a chat and it probably first initiated quite a few months ago when there was a possibility for Andy getting on as a director a little bit earlier than obviously last night. So my belief 
from what Andy had told me and the pitch that he made to me, if we fast forward to obviously three weeks ago, was that he felt that he could actually do the job as far as president. And my thought is, I've known Andy for something like 35 years, Mm. obviously a premiership teammate. I've also been a client of Andy's in his financial business and planning. And obviously when you come to, I guess, things like money, you certainly want to put your trust in the people that know more about it than what you do. Mm. And our friendship and the respect and trust that I have for Andy and also to the three-point plan that Andy came up with in relation to if he was to get the members' vote. And obviously, as everyone would know, the members were the ones that voted either Peter in or, or Andy in or vice versa. So it made their, I guess, situation for what they wanted very clear last night that Andy got in. But his three-point plan in relation to unity Obviously, we've always said, and in my time, it certainly was a family club, and that's how they were treated, whether it was you as a player or or your extended family. And also, too, what everyone wants in this uh, modern era and that we've had a lot of in the past is certainly success. So, for me, it was a pretty easy decision in the end, Sam. And uh, as I said, the members have now voted, and uh, Andy will be the the president for the next three years. Um, Gary, I have felt like at Hawthorne over the last few years, there's been, um, it's been quite um, disruptive. It's been quite tense. It's felt quite acrimonious, um, whether it be with how Alistair Clarkson's time finished and then certainly this year and in the build-up to this election, uh, I don't think it was really becoming of, uh, of Hawthorne as a club in its entirety to, to have had the mudslinging that was going on, the pot-shotting that was happening and even happening after the... Um, uh, announcement was made, even if they were in jest. How how have you felt watching all this unfold as one of the greats of the club? Oh, look, always as a past player, you have a very big interest in where you've actually, in my case anyway, I spent 17 years almost as a player and it was some of the absolute best times of my life. I went as a 17-year-old and Mm. then left just shy of, well, I was 33. So you spend half your life somewhere and, of course, just the the friendships, the success, uh, the people that were there, the environment that you were able to be part of and potentially play some sort of small part. Clearly, to use, I guess, an Alan Jean's expression back in the day, you don't need your dirty linen in public. And Alan was very big on that. And, look, you're always going to get a situation when you've got two people going for one particular role Mm. and it is people's right to obviously have an opinion and clearly there were some guys that have been amazing contributors to the success of the Hawthorne Football Club they were in obviously Peter's camp and of course then there are others like myself who were in Andy's camp and really it's always going to be potentially made out to be a little bit more if you like there's certainly a little bit of media going on but Mm. Clearly, in these type of things, it is robust and you've only got to hope, and we didn't know how it was going to go, obviously. You've got to hope that the right outcome is there. And if it is that people get challenged, then you try and change their way of thinking, but the outcome doesn't go your way. Well, that's the umpire's decision. And you, you put up and say, well, okay, I've done my best. It hasn't worked out. And then you move on and whoever got in, You've got to support them for whatever role they play and respect that person for that role. So whether clearly, in our case, Andy got in, 
So we believe that Andy will do a good job. And the 84,000 members of Hawthorne currently, obviously you wouldn't think that 84,000 have voted, but clearly there was a majority that went Andy's way and he's now in the hot seat and he's going to face some challenges. And But I'm still sure that he's up to the role and hopefully now we will just be able to take a step back get on and do what we all need to do and that support both the coaches and whatever other decisions are made and then the past players will be looking from afar and all we want is obviously Sam Mitchell and Beck Goddard to take the club to obviously the premiership success that we were able to be part of back in the day. Before I get your thoughts on what those challenges are and what the, the most pressing uh, issues are that need to be addressed, um, Jeff Kennett as president had two five-year stints, 06 to 2011 and that 06-2011, the move to Waverley, the Tassie deal, the 08 flag, yep, the Kennett curse, but so much accomplished and, and, and so much, so many, um, I suppose, massive steps taken forward by the Hawthorne Football Club to, be, to become uh, not just a power club on the field as they were through the 80s and um, the, the early 90s premiership, but certainly one of the fin- most financially uh, uh, powerful clubs uh, in the competition. Uh, came back again in 2017 and was there till obviously now. Um, it's two very differing stints. How do we and how do you, as a grade of the club, um, assess Jeff's service to the club, his time at the club and what he was able to achieve with the, those around him uh, at the club? Oh, I think Jeff has been very good for the football club over a long period of time. And clearly the 2008 Premiership and when Jeff stepped in, 12 months after, if my memory serves me correct, uh, Peter Schwab was, what, 2004 from memory? And then obviously Clarko started, Jeff came in, and within, what, three, four years as a premiership, and really it was probably a tad before time because of the development Mm. of the list and the exciting youth and, of course, the draft picks that came in and the the absolute talent that then was able to be displayed for a long period of time out of those drafts. So you'd like to think that most of the time things have been pretty positive. And again, when you look at what the situation has now become, it does get back, and I'll just keep probably saying the same sort of thing, Sam, is that the members have voted. And again, in my situation, I'm one of 84,000 members, so to speak. So it's really a lot of other people that have thought, well, okay, Andy's the man for the job at that particular time. And I guess I can put it like this, Sam, is that I always think football environments are a little bit like a conveyor belt. You jump on and you jump off whenever that time may be. It can be a short time or a long time. But clearly what you want to be able to do is make the place better through your contribution of the time that you've had. And uh, clearly when we look back, Football clubs will also go in cycles. So four premierships in the last, what are we talking, 18 years. Mm. Uh, I know Jeff wasn't at the helm for all of those, but there were other people. So everyone that's been on the board, everyone that's been part of it, Andy was part of it too, with that um, opportunity as football director as well. Yep. And now we're in a position where change has been voted in and it's not going to be easy, clearly. Uh, you asked the question about, what do I think needs to be fixed? I think it gets back to what I said before was the three-point plan that Andy's been talking about in his campaign and I believe he ran a pretty good campaign as well. And that's obviously having a united club from the top to the bottom and bottom to the top. Obviously getting back to everyone being very, very clear on that it is a family club. And the other thing that we all want 
and that's success. So they're the three things, and I'll just back Andy to the hilt on those. Uh, Gary, just as your teammates did when you were in the lineup with them, uh, I'm walking a little bit taller having you on today's lineup on the show. Mate, thank you so much for, for being on. Appreciate it. Oh, good on you, Sam. Thanks for interest, mate. Have a good Christmas and New Year. Uh, you too, to you and your family. Uh, the great Gary Ayres with us on Afternoons. April, I've done it to you again. I'm, I'm late. Uh, we, we can sit down and have 360-degree feedback from you to me. But, April, it is over to you in the newsroom. I'm not your boy, <laughs> Lovely work, April, in the newsroom as always. The heartbreak kid, Sean Michaels, A-Rod, uh, rolling out the WWE classics uh, out of the news. Uh, Gary, I only saw your question that you wanted me to ask Gary Ayres as I was scrolling back through the text. So I didn't get a chance to ask him uh, from one Gary to another. Apologies about that. There's a ton of texts that have been coming through. Here's uh, some of the ones uh, in response to our chat about the A-League decision earlier. From Nick, off the radio, you hop, Sammy boy. Useless information and opinion you are giving to the masses. You can criticise from the outside, but unless you actually go to the A-League games and feel the pain of fans, I reckon keep your views on the AFL till you leave the station. You mean keep my views to the AFL? Because that view was actually on the A-League, Nick. But, uh, Nick, the pain, I, I, I understand it, but it is only going to affect one team a year and their fans. So I, I just reckon wait and see if it works. Wait and see. if it, it might just work. It might just be the greatest thing that ever happened. Um, you could be very well right too, though. It could be the worst thing that ever happened. But we'll find out, won't we, at the end of three years. Um, Nick, they got $200 million for a TV deal. Why do they need to sell the fans' passion and love for the game, home games? Uh, more serious thought, REA League grand final decision from the outside. It seems a decision and what was considered weren't well communicated to the fans. The fan reaction makes it seem like it was a surprise. If so, I can see where the emotion comes from. Uh, mate, you missed the point. Every match you just talked about has a home team in it. The uh, superior crowds. Um, let's do the same thing for the grand final. Take it around Australia a few years. Um, we've got to get to a break and come back. Garinda Sandu uh, is on the other side of said break from the Sydney Thunder. Support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Well, I reckon last night, uh, the halfway mark, uh, there would have been some people thinking, gee, it's got off to a, 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 maybe a slower start this BBL season than we were possibly hoping for. The Sydney Thunder putting on a clinical bowling performance. They kept the Stars to 8 for 122 uh, in the first game of this BBL 12 season at Marnica Oval. And then the finish to this game needed to be seen and heard to be believed. But the man that was there when that needed most to score the six to tie it up and to be there to face the buyers that won the game for the Thunder in incredible circumstances was Gurinder Sandu, who's been good enough to join us uh, on SEN. Gurinder, hello to you, mate. Hey, guys. Mate, what what a game this was, was calling the action, and it, it seemed like you guys had done a brilliant job in your restriction of a pretty strong Stars batting lineup to 122, and then it just all seemed to be going anything but according to plan. They, they really did turn the screws to you, wickets falling all around the place. It wouldn't have gone according to plan, I wouldn't have thought, but, but the win is the win. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, early in the tournament or late in the tournament, you have to take the win however you can get them. Um, and usually those low scores always end up in tight games um, over the last 10 years of playing big bash. It, it happens quite often. Um, and then you put in two wickets in our first over with a batting. Um, it was kind of a pretty good recipe for a tight finish at the end. All right. Now, Gurinda, I'm going to see how good your memory is. So we're starting the 20th over. You're at the non-striker's end. You need eight runs yep. to win off the next six balls in regulation. Talk me through and just relive ball by ball 
what unfolded in that last over. How good's your memory? Uh, well, it started the over. the greenie. I said, mate, what do you want to do here? Um, do you want to try and face most of these balls, or what do you reckon here? Like, nah, mate, I tried to stay off the start. Um, if the thing got off, I would take the single, and balls in our zones, we'll, we'll try and hit for six. Um, so I was like, oh, that sounds good to me. And then that incredible catch to start the over off greedy. Um, I actually thought he hit that pretty nicely and had beat it uh, deep long off to his right. And he just, he was pretty cast, just chucked the right hand up and, and stuck. Um, and that's how that over started. So what happens the very next ball after that? Um, so Puzzle, Puzzle Faruqi walks in. Um, I sort of have a catch with him saying, hey, mate, like, you know, be perfect world, you get a single and get me on strike. Um, but I've never seen your bat. I don't know if you can bat. <laughs> if it's in your zone, then I guess try and hit it for four. Um, but otherwise, get me on strike. It uh, didn't quite go according to plan? Uh, not quite. So, top of middle stump, he tried to sort of back away a little bit and smack it over mid-wicket, which is a pretty tough thing to do it off. Um, and unfortunately, he missed that and, and got bowled. Um. So then Brendan Doggett comes to the crease. Bo Webster's on a hat-trick. Second Melbourne star player to be on a hat-trick. Trent Bolt was on a hat-trick after balls two and three of your innings when you guys were two for none. Um, what was your instructions to Brendan? Uh, well, pretty simple. Again, I said, hey, mate, um, four balls. Ideally, you get a single off the first four, and then first four, and then I'll try and face the last three. And he was like, yep, yeah, I'm happy with that. So thankfully, he got on strike straight away. Um, and then I had three balls to try and get, that would have been seven runs. Now, now we were laughing in commentary, Gorinda, that that might have been your instruction, but but when he when he completed the first, Brendan actually came back looking for the second, and you were unequivocal to him about, no, stay where you are. Yeah, I think that was just, just natural intent when he's yeah. batting or fielding or bowling. You know, he's a guy who puts it 100% all the time. So. Yeah. I think that's just the intent he was showing. Um, but, yeah, I was trying to face those last three for sure. So then you need you need seven runs to win. You've got three balls left to do it. Talk us through the very next ball because this was the game-changer ball. Yeah, well, luckily I played in Tassie, for Tassie, and also um, Kingwood Knights great club in Tassie, Bo Webster played with me or I played with him, uh, so we played together and I kind of, I faced him a fair bit so I knew I knew I could potentially get a loose ball um, so I was just as I could and watched that ball really hard um, and yeah, give myself the best chance to be able to hit the ball in the middle of my bat Well mate, you, you absolutely middled it you came down to him, gave yourself a bit of room, the head perfectly still perfectly timed uh, over mid-wicket for six, and then you just needed to get a single uh, off one of the last two balls, but even that proved a little difficult. And if you had have had 20 options as to how the game was going to finish, where would you have had four buys uh, as the likely uh, the likely final moment? Oh, it would have been the 20th option, right? <laughs> um, yeah, the second last ball was actually the last ball. It was a, like a, a good length, and it sort of just bounced a little bit. Um, that wicket was a bit tricky. Some were bouncing, some were sort of getting through. Uh, that one sort of just held up a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, unfortunately, um, 
for them, I guess. Unfortunately for them, uh, Joey Clark missed it and got the four behind. Um, now, I know you're in the car with the captain, and I know he's not officially part of the interview, but, Jason, I do want to ask you, Jason Sanger, just one question. How are you feeling in that final over? You've got no wickets left in hand. Um, the, the, you're on a hat-trick by Webster. You need seven runs off the last three balls. How were your nerves? Oh, to be honest, mate, I was so nervous. <laughs> um, I think if you saw the videos of the dugout, I was right in the front of the centre. I barely watched... Um, Uh, beautifully done, and congrats to you on getting your, your first win as captain. We'll let you off the hook now and uh, and get Garinda back on. Um, Garinda, how did you? What was the the message after the game from from Trev and even from Jace? I mean, how did you guys sum up um, the first game of the season? You guys getting a win first up? Uh, yeah, well, I guess everyone's happy to take the win um, and and the points and start the season off that way. Uh, but the way we got that win. Um, probably, especially with our batting, it's probably not the way we would have liked it. Um, so, yeah, we just had a little doubt just about you know, what we could have done a bit different uh, if we're in that situation again on that type of pitch, um, you know, how we can do things a little bit differently. Um, but, yeah, overall, you know, you always the win. So you take the two points. Um, you learn and you move on and get ready for the next game. Dorinda, congrats on the win. Uh, good luck with the rest of the season, and thanks for having a chat to us on SEN. No worries at all. Thank you for having me. Uh, and thanks to you too, Jace. Appreciate you chiming in, mate. Unofficially, of course. <laughs> nah, all good. Thanks. <laughs> oh, I have greatly appreciated your company today, all your calls on the four, uh, all your calls on the Werribee Key open line and all your texts on the 40 Winks temper text. If you missed anything today, if anything got lost in the wash, thanks to Identify, be a specialist in asbestos and hazardous material assessments, you can catch it all up on the podcast, sen.com.au. Just head to the Dwayne's World podcast page. Uh, strikers, Sixers from the Adelaide Oval tonight, Big Bash Nation, uh, Strikers, 212. Sydney Sixers, $1.72 for top sport, home of the sports betting multi. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Uh, and in World Cup soccer tomorrow morning, the semi-final. Um, don't forget that as well. You'll hear that right here on SEN France. $1.50 for the win. Morocco, seven fifty three ninety for the draw. Home of the top sports betting multi is top sport. Download the top sport app today. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Uh, Dean, how good was Lionel Messi? Unbelievable this morning. Go Argentina, go. Uh, and thanks for those who have told me that last year's A-League Grand Final had two Melbourne teams. Uh, appreciate that text as well. I still think you get my point. Um, wonderful for you to share your point, though, and I've appreciated all of them that have got involved in the conversation all throughout the day. There's a ton of them on the 40 Winks temper text, good, bad, and everything in between. I appreciate all of those, and more importantly, appreciate all of your calls. Is it Andy and Derm up next? Are they still at King Island? How good is that junket? How good are those two human beings? You'll have three hours with them on the other side of this. Uh, big thanks to Sammy Fan and a big thanks to A-Rod. Uh, thanks to Loffy as well. Zoe was here too. And thanks to you until tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Stay safe. This has been Afternoons on SEN.